Welcome to Intrepid Media, the show for the business professional. Here, we're going to talk about business topics such as leadership, sales, marketing, HR, innovation, strategy, and technology. But we're also going to riff about lifestyle too and help you look better, feel better, and live better. This show is everything the modern business professional needs, from the C-level executive to the millennial. So let's get on with the show. Good morning and welcome back to Intrepid Radio. I am your host, Todd Schnecke. I have been looking forward to oh, this conversation now for, gosh, I think we've had this scheduled for about a month. When I first heard that this gentleman had a new book coming out, I was very excited, reached out to him on Twitter, and he was kind enough to connect me to his crew. And here we are today. Uh, this guest needs no introduction. And I'm so looking forward to this conversation and loving this new book. Let's say hello to our guest. His name is Tom Peters. Tom, welcome to the show. Todd, it is a delight to be here. And thanks for chasing me down. I'm delighted to be a part of it. Yeah, well, I'm grateful for your time. I know you are a busy fellow, so grateful for you to swing by. I, I do want to lead off with a very quick story that I think you'll appreciate. Uh, sadly, I lost my father a few months ago, and and I uh, was going through his office and was cleaning some things up, and littered all over the bookshelves were various uh, books from the great Tom Peter. So he was a big fan. <laughs> and had a very long and successful executive wow. career. So he had always admired your work. So I wanted to share that little story with you. I knew you'd appreciate that. And frankly, yeah. Well, Mike, I wanted to say, first of all, my condolences to uh, to losing your dad. But you. uh, do, I do appreciate your sharing the story. Yeah. And it's because of that that I obviously was paying attention to you in my younger career and, and I've obviously become a, a fan uh, and appreciate your work. And I guess. Um, I guess where I want to start is I almost feel some sadness, Tom, that you had to put this book out. I mean, this is something that you have been talking about. These ideas, these themes, these mindsets have been things you've been sharing and talking about for quite some time. And, and I guess I'm, I want to ask, why did you need to put it out? I mean, haven't you said everything that needs to be said? Haven't others said all the things that need to be said to do good work? I mean, why was this book necessary? While I'm hoping that, uh, that as part of this conversation, people will buy the book, I will say that when I talk to people in a public audience, and you nailed it, I don't think it's sadness, but you know, it isn't sadness. It is anger. It's almost, I was thinking about it, I am in a state of constant fury. But when I, when I start talking with people, I always say, and particularly, I say, wow. I hope you buy the book. I hope you've bought the book. I hope you give a million copies to your friends. But if you have followed me, I will absolutely positively guarantee you that there is nothing in this book that is new. You know, we said put people first and in search of excellence. I have written 16 other books until now, and I have said put people first. I am now writing again at the age of 75 in 2018 and saying put people first. First, I mean, first, first of all, I would, I, many, many people, I will not say, have taken to my message. Many people are on the right page. You know, at the end of my people chapter in this book, in fact, I offer a list of 24 books, and including one called Firms of Endearment. And I suggest that, that leaders actually start what I call the People First Book Club. 
there are people who've done it. So it hasn't been a, you know, it hasn't been a shutout in any sense of the word. But as I've gone around talking about this book, you know, the, the truth is I have discovered just how irritated I am because this is very, very doable stuff. You know, we're suggesting things like managing by wandering around that we suggested 35 years ago. We're saying ask questions. Somebody actually put this on a blog a couple of years ago. Ask religiously the question, what do you think? You know, I've got quant degrees in engineering and business, and I will guarantee you that you will be able to take the principal ideas from this book if you were successful in completing the second grade. Of course. But isn't also part of this that the reason you continue to talk about this and push these ideas is that this journey never ends, right? You don't ever get to a point. Let's talk about excellence. I think most people, if they're familiar with Tom Peters, would, would think of one word, excellence. That process never ends, right? I mean, you don't, you don't get to a point and say, oh, look, I've done it. Boom. It's done. Journey's over. Absolutely. I, I mean, this, we're going to get into the, one of the main themes of the book and why this is even more important. But, but that journey never ends, right? I mean, you never, I mean, do you ever actually get there or is part of the, the pursuit of this the real goal here? Well, I might change one word you said. You said is part of the pursuit of this. I would go so far as to say is part of the joy of mm-hmm. this. It is fabulous. It was fabulous to be in a football game that you just couldn't believe when you were a 14-year-old. It was fabulous to be in a high school drama that people just lapped up and you did as well. And so the answer is, you know, I, we nearly titled the book, Excellence is the Next Five Minutes. And, you know, that's, that's sincerely what I believe. I, I will say, you know, to, uh, to let myself off the hook from an earlier comment, I believe the difference between 35 years ago and today with all the change that's coming down the line with artificial intelligence and so on, I believe that the nice to-dos that make you stand out of the 1980s are now the must-dos if you want to survive in 2018 and beyond. No, no doubt about that. Uh, and I'm so glad you brought up joy because that was one of my favorite parts of this book. And we're going to get into that in, uh, in, a, in a few minutes. I actually uh, have failed to, to reference the book. It's called The Excellence Dividend, Meeting the Tech Tide with Work That Wows and Jobs That Last. So to someone listening who is not familiar with the book, what actually is The Excellence Dividend? Well, I am going to uh, take a minute and a half and tell you a story. What is excellence in the world of business? So I am flying from Albany, New York to uh, Washington, D.C. to BWI, flying on Southwest, an institution that I uh, have a great fondness for. Pilots who are going to fly us down come in late. On time is absolutely required in that business, even if they do miss occasionally. Pilots are racing down the hallway, get to my gate, as is always the case, or virtually always the case, there is a line of about six wheelchairs. The pilot screeches to a halt, turns with a smile to the woman in the first wheelchair, and says, would you mind if I took you down the jetway? Now, Todd, I think I've logged roughly 7,500 flight legs. I have never, ever, ever seen anything like that in my life. And, you know, I was talking to somebody about it, and they said, 
take somebody down the jetway, I've never seen a pilot look at a passenger when they're getting on a plane. But, you know, the huge point, you know, one of the things I say in the book is little is more important than big. It's little events of excellence like that that you remember into almost literally your dying breath. It is little events of excellence like that that I do not believe artificial intelligence is going to be able to copy. So in a way, the, you know, the answer to your question is excellence is the next five minutes. Excellence is just a tiny little act of helping or supporting or engaging that makes all the difference in the life of, in your life, my life, and the life of all of our fellow humans. Well, you almost, I almost felt emotional when you were telling that story. I mean, it's a silly pilot wheeling someone down in a wheelchair, but the, the impact that has on person in that chair and those observing that is, is profound. I mean, that's what you remember. You don't remember if that flight was actually even a few minutes late, but you think about that. I mean, that's, that's a great example of what you've always talked about. So you yeah, mentioned, you know, way back when, which is a, you know, not, not as, not as, uh, uh, tear engaging as the airline flight. But I remember when we first started studying Walt Disney and one of Disney's real secrets was they put incredible attention into the staff in the parking lot. You know, they hired them for disposition and you know, what they said was obvious. Who is the first person you see and who is the last person you see? the parking lot attendant. And per your point, I may well forget the 40 minutes I stood in line for a ride if the parking attendant's got a big smile on and asked me, hey, let me, let me help you find your car or what have you. But yeah, those are the stuff you remember. Those are the stuff that are excellence and those are the things that can't be copied by a machine, at least, uh, you know, at least in, the, in the foreseeable future. Maybe, maybe someday it will, but not yet. Well, and like you said earlier, it's not hard. This isn't rocket science. It just requires a commitment and a desire to do it. Right. And, and it's just amazing how little that seems to have permeated itself into our into most business cultures. It's 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 intriguing. You mentioned AI. You mentioned the hard, the hard part. Maybe not hard. The sort of thing that makes it happen is Colleen Barrett, who was the uh, president of Southwest Airlines, says we hire for listening, caring, smiling saying thank you, and being warm. And she said that is as much a criterion or criteria set for a pilot and a mechanic as it is for a flight attendant and a frontline person. So you know, years, years ago, I was, was in a Starbucks, and you know, I remember going up to a Starbucks manager, and I said, holy smokes, I just got back from Saudi Arabia, and all the people in Daman smiled as much and all the Starbucks people smiled as much as they do here on Charles Street in Boston. I said, how do you do that? And she looked at me with a smile or a grin. She said, it's easy. We hire people who smile. And she said, then the ones who smile the most, we promote. And life is not quite that simple, but at some level, it's pretty close to it. Mm -hmm. No doubt about it. You mentioned the AI a few minutes ago. Uh, I think if I recall correctly, you indicated that technology is uh, maybe a threat's not the, the right word, but maybe it is, is the biggest threat or certainly the biggest impact on business currently and certainly probably for the next generation. So in the, the, the book talks about how, how to deal with this threat of technology in, in all of its forms and, and how to overcome that, how to perhaps leverage it, how to take advantage of it. But at the end of the day, it's, it's, you touched on this with the pilot story. It's about finding out and understanding what humans can do better than machines, right? I mean, that's that's yeah. one of the key roles you of management it. now. 
Absolutely. And you know, it's, it's finding that out. And, you know, one of the things I say that I have never said before, uh, I'm not a very religious person that doesn't come from a, you know, from a religious belief, but I have said that with all the change that's coming down the pike, business has a moral responsibility to develop the people who work for them. You know, it's, uh, as somebody pointed out, business is not part of the community. Business is the community. And I'm not talking about the giant firms. I'm talking about the small firms with two, five, 10, 20, 50 employees. They're the ones that employ most of it. They are in dead center in their community. And as a community member, there is a moral response. If somebody hires you for a project for six months, or if you work somewhere for three years, it is my belief that one of your principal jobs as boss is to make sure that when you leave a year from now, you are better equipped to deal with the future than you were when you got here. It's not just that you put in a good time, good, you know, did a good job, showed up on time and so on. I want you to, I believe you have to be better. I believe that's part of my moral obligation. As I say in the book, ha ha, the funny news is it's the best way to make money and grow the business. Right, right. And that's the key lesson that I still think people in management don't seem to believe. You mentioned that I love this idea of business is the community because in the book you talk about what, you know, what is the excellence dividend and part of it is, you know, the organization is, a, is considered a good neighbor that you're part of, you're, you're welcome to part of this community, as you said. And that was, I hadn't really thought of it that way before. And, and that's a big part of it too, right? Because I mean, not, I'm not just talking about the direct impact on, on success and sales, but re, re, recruitment of talent, retention of talent. I mean, it's all, it all feeds into that, right? Absolutely. Two things. First of all, relative to business as part of the community, the simple fact of the matter is that I'm delighted that you love your family, but if you were not born with a silver spoon, which most of us weren't, you are going to spend the majority of your adult working hours in a business somewhere. And so it is your life. It's not part of your life. And you know the way I put it in pretty strong language is if, if you piss away your time at work, you've pissed away your life to a significant degree. But yeah, I, you know, I, I, I'm particularly, I, I focus on, I'm, I'm mad at the, at the guru set and I'm one of them. They even say I invented the thing and I'm mad at them because they act as if the fortune 500 and the FTSE 100 were the only businesses in town. I'm really focusing in some respects on what do you do if you have a 23 person appliance repair company that serves a city that's one of several competitors serving a city of 25,000. How do you grow that business? How do you be a part of the community? How do you deliver work that makes your customers smile? And I, somewhere in there said, I have my campaign 1 million, and that is to take 500,000 businesses, add enough excellence to what they do, so that they can add two employees to the payroll. And, and you know, those, when Search of Excellence came out, a lot of people bought the book, God bless them, and we got a lot of letters. I didn't get many from CEOs of big companies, and if I did, I didn't save them. What you would find in a shoebox somewhere, Todd, and it still makes me feel good today, are the letters that I got from police chiefs, fire chiefs, elementary school principals, real people with real organizations, and in those in organizations, by gosh, 
with some of these ideas, you can make virtually an overnight difference. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, that's, uh, I, I love hearing that story. You know, you mentioned a minute ago this idea of listening. And you obviously talk about this in the book. And, and since it's my show and I've got you here, I'm going to talk about it because it's one of my <laughs> pet peeves. And it's, and I am right with you. We can, we can spend the rest of our time on that we topic. We really could. And, 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 you know, the reason it's a pet peeve is for a long time, I wasn't a good listener. I was waiting for my chance to follow up and, and very common things. Talk about why that is so critical and, you know, why the, the guy on top of the chain says, well, I don't, I'm the boss, so do what I say. You know, I, I don't have to listen to what the. It, it's amazing to me how poor we, most people, I guess most people, let alone people in management positions, they just don't seem to listen. Why, why are we so bad at that? How, how have we let that get to well, this, this point? I mean, for, first of all, I confirm some of the things that you're saying. And one of the scary things in boss world that the research shows is the boss thinks he listens, but he doesn't. You know, there was some serious piece of uh, uh, whatever you want to call it, social psychology research or something, and somebody was observing a meeting. And after the meeting, they asked the boss, among other things, how many times were you interrupted during this hour-long meeting, to which he said blank, and how many times did you interrupt people? Well, he thought he was interrupted two or three times more than he interrupted and he, you know, he thought he interrupted three times, and the count that they had put in place said he'd interrupted 12 times. So we don't have self-knowledge, and part of the organizational issue, and obviously a significant part of my aim is at managers, at managers are the worst of all. And uh, I'm with you. I'm, I was, until I started paying attention, a thoroughly terrible listener. There's this guy who was actually a very successful bank CEO in our community. And, you know, we saw him, we moved, we moved a couple of years ago and we saw him socially and so on. And I was talking to his wife a while back and I said, Lisa, it's the funniest damn thing. I said, I have an incredible 25 minute conversation with Richard and at the end of the conversation, or not at the end of the conversation, but when I go home at night, I realize he never opened his mouth, and I talked the whole damn time. Uh, so, you know, part of it, which sounds like what you are focusing, you said, is self-awareness. Yep. And that's huge. But I also, there was somebody at, uh, you know, in a Twitter exchange just a few days ago, and I fell in love with this, and they said there ought to be a Toastmasters for listening. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's a funny one-liner, but by gosh, I, I think it's really true. I think we can get better at it. I think, you know, the, the, one of the things that really stunned me is I quote Richard Branson a fair amount in the book. He wrote a mat and he's written a bunch of books, but one of them was just a straightforward management book. Book is 300 pages long, part one, 115 pages, title of, this, of part one, one third of the book is listening. Mm. And he says, when we're picking leaders, seven of the eight traits that we use to evaluate candidates focus on listening. Yep. Yep. Well, part of the so what are we going to do about it? You and I, right. We're going to start a Toastmasters for listening. I don't think it's a bad idea. I think it's a wonderful idea. I mean, if, if it is a discipline, I mean, it is something that requires, and it was, as you just said, self-awareness, uh, but it is a discipline. I mean, you have to focus. I mean, but part of the problem 
the reason that you mentioned a, a simple tool that you can use, which has such profound effect is, you know, asking someone, what do you think? And yep. when you aren't in the habit or aren't in the discipline of listening, you're not seeking, you have to seek opportunities to listen, right? And so that asking that question gives you a great chance to, you know, it's one thing to ask the question. What's really important is is comprehending and evaluating and thinking about the answer, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I loved it when I, I came across that suggestion. The per- person who gave it to me who runs a middle-sized business, he, he his language, which I love, is he said, what are the four most important words in any organization? Colon, what do you think? So it's a centerpiece. And, uh, you know, there's, there are also funny little tricks, and this also came from Twitter. There was one manager on Twitter who said, whenever I go into a meeting, I take out a pen and I write on my hand, listen, exclamation mark. And, you know, probably just the simple, silly little act of doing that, you know, she probably never looks down at her hand, but the simple fact that you took 10 seconds to do that and put listening at the top of your mind, I suspect it makes a big difference. You've got to focus on it. You've know, you got to do what we're doing in this conversation. Our conversation is not going to last forever. It will be X minutes long. And under your guidance, we have spent a significant share of our time talking about listening. You know, it's got to be on your mind. It's got to be on your agenda. You've got to be conscious about it. And I think we can work on it. And, and we've got a back to Colleen Barrett and so on. I think when we do particularly first-line promotion, we have got to focus on that as maybe even the primary criteria. You know, I, I have a whole chapter on listening in the book, and I also have a ch- whole chapter on first-line managers because I think they're a lot more important than vice presidents. They're the ones who deliver the productivity, the quality, the retention, and so on. And I say that selecting first-line managers is one of the most important things we do. Well, let's put at the top of the list of characteristics, good listener. Yep. What do you say to the leader? I'm not talking about the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, although obviously they're part of this. I'm talking about the leader of a team or a small division or a small company who says to you, well, I'm afraid of what the people are going to say. Well, that's a showstopper. (laughs) You know, I'm... Well, it is. Uh, what I would say was is repeat myself from a minute ago. Boy, did you ever, you know, hire the wrong person for a managerial slot? Right. You know, I I will for once in my life shut up and say I haven't got a good answer to that. However, I will also admit that uh, you know the question you that you pose is a very good question, but it does take me back to hiring and promoting. Peter Drucker long ago said every promotion decision is a life or death decision. And all I argue in the book is that you should spend an incredible amount of time on every promotion decision. Don't panic. Don't just fill the slot because it's open and people are stressed out as a result. Take your time. And, you know, it's a smart aleck remark, but I, you know, going back to an earlier comment, you know, what I say is a promotion decision to vice president is easy. A promotion decision to first line managers, that is a very, very, very big deal. I, I use the military example in there and say that, uh, 
you know, and if you were heading an army regiment and all of your lieutenants and all of your captains and all of your majors were killed, that would be an awful event. But if your sergeants would get, were killed, it would be game over. Sergeants run the army, chief petty officers run the Navy. Yep. Yep. You know, we talked about joy earlier in the conversation, and that's the next topic that I'm going to take advantage of having your attention because I think there's so little joy in most business out there. Most people dread work. They get sick on Sunday nights because they just can't believe they have to go back to work Monday morning. They, they celebrate hump day. They, they count the hours to Friday afternoon. I don't know how people can, uh, I don't know how people can live like that. Talk about joy and why, why that's so important. Why there's so much joylessness out there. Why does it matter who's responsible for it? And what do you say to the, to the manager? of a team who says, well, my job is to build things. It's to make profits. It's to recruit and retain talent and you know, impress Wall Street and acquire companies. My job isn't joy. That's, that's, that's not what, what a big manager does. Well, you know, one person I quote, and again, as I said before, is Richard Branson. And I actually put together a whole bunch of slides, 4,000 that captured everything I'd said in the last 20 or 30 years. And the number one on my list was a Branson quote, and it said, business has to give people enriching, rewarding lives, or it's not worth doing. Oh, God. Again, I would, I would, a lot of it has to do with selection. Yeah, there, a guy by the name of Richard Sheridan in Ann Arbor, Michigan, has a software company, and he wrote a book about joy at work. It, you know, I, again, I, I, I'm, as I said, I'm not very religious, but I hate to sound religious. It's, you know, I, I'm an old guy. And the question is, and this will be everybody's question at some point, is what did you do with your life? And I have a slide in my regular slide set, and it has a picture of a tombstone. And on the tombstone, it says, Joe T. Jones dates net worth $17,318,426.13. And my comment is, have you ever seen a tombstone with a net worth on it? At the end of the day, I, years ago, I, I spoke to the leadership of a big chemical company, and I happened to have had a birthday while I was flying out to Switzerland to do it. And so I, I wrote this little piece, and the piece was called Memories That Matter. And I said, look, you guys are in your mid-40s, by and large. You've got 20 years to go. When you get to be my age, what are you going to look back on? And what you're going to look back on is the people you helped and the people you grew. I don't have a magic bullet except the talk about it and talk about it. And once we're in the organization, if we've got somebody like Richard Sheridan, put it in the hiring process. Well, there's, you know, there's a guy, you know, back, back to these words, like the words at Southwest Airlines, there's a guy who runs a pharmaceutical company, a middle-sized pharmaceutical company who's quoted in the book. And he says, our rule is we only hire nice people. And he said that rule can be applied to PhD microbiologists as much as to the receptionist. He said, there are a lot of smart PhD microbiologists out there. Don't hire the jerks. It's got to be a personal commitment. It's got to be how you want to live your life. What do you want to look back on? You know, my own comment is I have only one judgment of my life, and that is, can I walk past a mirror without barfing? 
And you know, I said the other, there was something went on in a, you know, in a tweet stream, and somebody said they thought Elon Musk was the most wonderful person alive. And I responded, and I said, I think highly of Elon Musk, almost as highly as I think of the magnificent second-grade teacher in XYZ Elementary School who really changes the lives of the 17 kids in her classroom. And, you know, that, was, that wasn't a throwaway line for Twitter. I really believe it. And, you know, I, w- I wish people who didn't like people didn't, well, that, that's, that's a silly thing to say, didn't start businesses. I think it's difficult to change if you don't have it. But, you know, you and I, as fabulous as your program is and as fabulous as my books are, you and I are not going to change the world entirely. What we are going to do, I believe, and obviously you are welcome to disagree, is I am going to get to 3% of my readers, and you are going to get to 3% of your listeners who say, oh my God, this makes sense. I'm going to see if I can do something differently. You know, I've, I've said my name is not Billy Graham. The late Billy Graham goes into a church with a thousand people, and he thinks he can, this is not fair. Uh, he thinks he can change a thousand lives. I go into a speech with a thousand people, and I will be thrilled out of my mind if three people walk out of there and say, holy smokes, this is the way to go, and then they do something about it. So we do the best we can, Todd, and try to get to as many people as we can. And we, you know, the, the people I change, and I, I really believe this from a million conversations, the people I change, I didn't change. They already believe this stuff. The number of people who have come up to me over the years at the end of a speech and said, that speech was incredible. You made me feel that I wasn't as weird as other people try to make me feel. All I do is give them permission. If you, you know, go to a football analogy, the way I've put it is if you're on your own five-yard line I'm not going to be able to help you score a touchdown. If you are on your opponent's five-yard line, my speech can give you a swift kick in the butt and help you fall over the goal line and score six points. Yep. Well, the three people that you, that you impact, you're not just changing those three people because they're going to go back to their organizations and they're going to affect change. And then, then this thing begins to spread. And that's, that's the excitement. Right. Absolutely. Way back in my second book, A Passion for Excellence, that I wrote with Nancy Austin, we, maybe somebody else had done it first, but we focused on pockets of excellence. And we said, you might be in a big company, and you might have to obey a bunch of rules that you're not happy with, but you can make your seven-person training department or your 89-person distribution uh, operation into a remarkable excellent institution within the organization. You know, there's, there's no excuse for saying I can't, I can't be good because my boss won't let me. So this idea of innovation, I remember the day when I, when I finally realized I learned what it meant because I had this, what I thought was an intriguing idea. I went to a gentleman and said, what do you think of this idea? Is it, this is really innovative. He says, oh, I don't know. Does it work? And I suddenly realized that I was thinking of creativity not innovation. I think a lot of people get that mixed up, but talk about how the principles, the ideas behind the excellence dividend can make you more innovative organization. Well, you know, I've got a couple of chapters on innovation in the book. 
And I have, and it, it really is interesting when it goes to your point about not, is it a good idea, but does it work? I say in the book that I believe that there's only one thing I know about innovation, and it is called WTTMSW. And WTTMSW stands for whoever tries the most stuff wins. You know, the name of the game is to get an idea, to find somebody who will partner with you, to try a piece of it, to see how it works, to be embarrassed by how bad it is, to change it overnight, to try it again until you get something that you like or something that maybe wasn't supposed to to work. So, you know, it's about absolutely an organization. There's a friend of mine who who is uh, in the MIT Media Lab, and he wrote an entire book that was called Serious Play. And he said, the secret to innovation is play. You know, not ha-ha play, but just an, a whole notion, a whole organization that says, somebody says, now we might try it this way. And my boss immediately says, okay, let's give it a shot. Let's, you know, work on this for a little while. You know, I expand my WTTMSW somewhere, and I can't reel off the, the letters for you, but my expanded version is, Whoever tries the most stuff and screws the most stuff up the fastest wins. And, you know, I really think that's the case. It's a, it's a whole place where, you know, the boss, you know, says to anybody from the receptionist on, you know, what are you trying? What are you playing with? What are you working with? Because per your point, I'm not sure everybody is wildly creative, but I think they are innovative. They've got a little idea how to make something a little bit better. And so let's give it a try. You know, there's a story in the book about Walmart and giant Walmart. Somebody made a suggestion. They sell a whole bunch of small appliances. Somebody made a suggestion. Let's try bigger shopping carts. You know, it's a giant institution. They make, they try bigger shopping carts and their small appliance sales go up by 50%. Because in the old days, when you picked up your microwave oven, you put it in the cart and you went to checkout. Now you're just on a roll and you keep right. on buying. But so many little ideas have incredible impact. And it won't happen unless we have turned, to use your language, everybody into an innovator. Everybody has a license to try and make it a little bit better. But isn't that also part of the reason you want to strive for a joyful environment? Because I think if you have a culture, if you have an organization that is filled with joy, well, then you're, you're, you're not afraid of trying new things. You're not afraid of failing. You're, uh, everyone's kind of excited and they get, they get energized and they feel more vibrant and, and willing to get in there and get their hands dirty. Where if, if it's this joyless culture, well, then you're just, you're just sitting there waiting for the clock to hit five and you're not, you're not. Yeah. Thinking. You, you, you just wrote the book. You wrote my book or your book or Richard Sheridan's book. You know, I would love to have the, you know, we have it on tape, as it were. I would love to have the exact words you used in that sentence because I think you nailed it. I think you nailed it 100%. A place where we enjoy each other's company. Not silly, haha, but it's just, it's really nice to see you in the morning. And, you know, I argue that the most important thing that a boss can do before the boss leaves home, and I think this is actually a Tony Robbins trick is look in the mirror and work on your smile. You know, if, if you walk into a place where the smiles are irresistible, and I think there's even uh, you know, a heck of a lot of research which says that, 
but it, it has to do with, you know, once again, back to an earlier topic you and I were talking about, it has to do with the little stuff a lot more than the big stuff. It's literally, if you have a 10 person company and you happen to have a receptionist, when you walk in in the morning and the receptionist is there for heaven's sakes, you know, her 12 year old daughter may well have gotten the mumps yesterday or what have you, you come in, you've got a smile and you just say to her, you know, and fabulous to see you. I am looking forward to a great day. And you've got a smile that lights up the room and you just, you just changed the world. There was all this discussion. People wrote books about it, that Nelson Mandela's number one secret was probably the world's best smile. He could disarm anybody, including his enemies. Yeah, that's Boy, I was thinking about the smiling, and then when you mentioned Mandela, just that that encapsulates the whole idea of how you can change the world with a smile. I mean, that's that's profound. Let's close on one final discussion. So, so we have this boss who is not creating a joyful environment. He's not listening. He's more worried about sharing his vision than executing and getting things done. He doesn't buy into the idea of the excellence excellence dividend, uh, and he's not focused on building his people and empowering them and giving them love and training to develop and grow and have freedom to try things and mess things up. How do you, I don't, there's a dozen ways to ask this question. Let me ask it this way. It, take it from the context of a person listening, that the, one of the three people in the thousand who says, listens to this and says, all right, I am that guy. Shame on me. I am beginning to understand how that can change things. Any advice and counsel to that boss who, who says, all right, I'm ready to kind of figure this out. And I mean, it doesn't happen overnight, but it, it can it can have immediate impact. How, how do you how do you coach that guy to begin well, to if to, he if he really fits that description of one of the three, and he has the right disposition, and if he has nerve, if he's a risk taker, and let's say he's running an eleven person organizational unit, I would say he ought to think about it. He ought to ponder it, or she ought to think about it, she ought to ponder it, he ought to talk with his family about it, and so on, and then he should literally go into the place one morning and say, you know, we're going to take a half a day off, and we're not going to go to a management retreat, but we're going to, you know, we're going to sit down, and we're just going to chat with each other and talk about what it's like to work here, and he might not have great people skills, but I think if he I I think he's going to have to trust his instinct. He's going to have to listen more. He's going to just have to sit down and talk to people about how can we make this place a place where all of us will feel better about ourselves. People will be shocked. People will think it's BS. People will think he's trying a motivational trick on them. And the only way that he is going to get beyond that is to do the same thing tomorrow and the same thing the next day. And eventually People, I believe, will become part of the show, will contribute to the show, and so on. But I think, I think, I think there's got to be a bit of a leap of faith there. Yeah, it'd be wonderful to say you ought to have a coach and so on, but the average frontline manager is not going to be able to afford, nor is the company going to give him a coach. Family may be a big help. Friends may be a big help. You know, you and I go out and have a beer with four or five of our friends, and they really are good friends. And I've known you for 20 years, so I'm comfortable with you. And I say language that can't be used on this show, 
I look you in the eye and I say, I've been thinking about work, Todd, and I've really been effing up. I've got a place where people who aren't happy and I'm trying to think about what I might do. I bet you and I have a great conversation. Mm -hmm. No doubt about it. And, and that's the start. We, I test it with you who is a 20 person, I mean, 20 year friend. And you know, we, we go from there. Yep. It's not about writing. And you know, what's going to happen in that conversation, by the way, <laughs> I suspect is, you know, 10, 10 minutes into it, you know, you're going to say, you know, when I think on it, I suffer from the same disease you do. And so you and I become a little community and a little support group in, uh, you know, trying to make a difference and do this a little bit differently. Don't you suppose that would happen? Well, that's how it has to happen, right? And that's that's when the magic happens is when you start, it becomes a community, right? Not just a place where you go and, yep. and check in and, and do your work and then check out. I mean, it, it right, has but to be. No, what I'm, what I'm saying is in getting up the nerve, yep. I'm going to start with some good friends. Yep, yep. You know, I, I think you and I and a six-pack can make a big difference. Yep. Meaning the two of us sitting down and having, you know, that horrible term, and maybe it's not appropriate to use, but a, a come-to-Jesus meeting over the way I've been working and the kind of workplace I've created. Yep. Great stuff. Well, Tom, I've taken up more of your time than I intended. Uh, again, very, very grateful for you to swing by and join us and giving us some of your valuable time. Before I let you go, should anyone uh, want to learn more about all your work and get all your information and find out uh, about all your other books and where can I get a copy of The Excellence Dividend, where do they go? Well, they might start at uh, TomPeters.com. We've got everything I've done for the last 10 years, you know, probably 500 presentations and so on are there. Suggestions about getting the book are there. I'm not going to tell people where to get the book. They know I'm not going to push any particular channel. That's for darn sure, because I'd like them all to be peddling my book. Uh, but TomPeters.com, and then relative to the themes you and I have been talking about, we have another site, which is called ExcellenceNow.com. And, you know, a bunch of papers and slideshows and this, that, and the other. And I think it's pretty easy to use. And, you know, it's there for, as I always say, it's there for one and only one purpose. And that is for you to steal things. You know, my, relative to what you and I have been talking about, my happiness will come when you steal something from me and give it a try. Outstanding. Tom Peters, best-selling author, speaker, and author of the new book, The Excellence Dividend. Tom, my friend, great pleasure to have you. Thanks again for stopping by. Thanks, Todd. I thought it was a fabulous conversation, and I don't just say that all the time. I appreciate that very, very much. Thank you for listening to Intrepid Media. We appreciate your attention. To receive everything we do, simply go to IntrepidMailingList.com. That's IntrepidMailingList.com and sign up. You can also find us at Intrepid.media and on iTunes. And to support the important work we do on your behalf, a rating and review on iTunes will help spread our work far and wide. Again, we certainly appreciate your support. Now get out there, be intrepid, and we'll see you next time.